No my hiding my kitanehotaka. Welcome to the panel. RNZ National Wallace Chapman with you today. On this afternoon, the unemployment rate rises, but still at a record low. Businesses are finding it very hard to get skilled staff. If you're a business in this boat, what are you experiencing? I'd love to hear from you. Text me a 2101 email at the panel at rnz.co.nz. A climate adaptation plan unveiled. There will be a time when some communities will no longer be viable. What happens? Who's going to pay? Also today, US House Speaker Nancy Pelosi lands in Taiwan and triggers a geopolitical firestorm playing with fire says Beijing. We cross live to Taiwan where resident Oliver Ibbotson gauges reaction for us. And we gauge our panellists' thoughts on the ongoing issue of the cost of living payments. And by the way, you can listen to the panel free on Apple, Spotify, iHeart or wherever you get your podcast. You can listen to the panel on the bus, on the beach, in the spa, wherever you like. But uh, do feel free to join us. With us this afternoon is Sue Bradford, community activist and former uh, Green MP. Sue, lovely to have you on the program. Sure, Wallace, cure everybody. Kia Sue, and with just absolutely impeccable timing, like one second to spare, it should have been at the Commonwealth Games, swimming, Ben Thomas, PR consultant and former national staffer. Ben, how do you do it? I have a very busy schedule, Wallace, and, I, and, and everything is just, just like the perfect supply chains that were disrupted by COVID. Everything's just on time delivery. Just in time management. You're the perfect specimen for the this afternoon panel. This is ben, ben Thomas is one supply chain that is not disrupted by the pandemic. Uh, all right. So Ben and Sue with us, a wonderful panel this afternoon to this. Now, anybody who has walked up uh, the world's steepest street, Baldwin Street in Dunedin, knows just how much of an incline it is. It's quite breathtaking. People have rolled Jeffers down it. They slid down it. Rather strangely, no one has, to anyone's knowledge, tried to skate straight down it as fast as possible. It took one 26-year-old Australian to do it yesterday. With us is Australian champ skater Zach Mills Goodwin. Zach, welcome to the panel. Oh, hi. It's nice to be here. I saw the video. It's probably the craziest thing I've seen for a while. Had you planned to do this? Um, I sort of had it back in my mind that I wanted to give it a go when I was coming through town to sort of heard about the growth of all the very saturation. Um, but yeah, I just uh, thought that I could have got that. Hey, Zach, can I ask you a question? Are you skating right now? <laughs> Zach? We'll get him back, don't you worry. Have you been to Baldwin Street, Ben? I have been to Baldwin. I've just I've just seen the the pictures, and of course, uh, closely monitored. It's long running battle to be declared the world's steepest street. That's right. Um, so many twists and turns in that. I, I can only imagine. Uh, I I tried to learn skating as a nineteen year old, and I don't know if you've noticed my fashionable nineties beard that yeah. I've had since then, which, right. which I had to grow to cover the, the scar when I face-planted in an industrial park in Auckland and sort of took all the skin off my face. Is that um, a real story? That, that's a real story. And that's, that is why you have that um, little beard. Uh, yeah, that's right. But with, without it, I look like a, a hideous monster. No, come on. <laughs> um, 
<laughs> you, I didn't. You, you're supposed to deny that, Sue Bradford. <laughs> you're supposed to jump in, not me, and say no, rubbish. Sue, skateboard. Have you been to Baldwin Street? Uh, yes, I have. Absolutely terrifying place. Yeah. <laughs> At the best no. of times, much less on a skateboard. Yeah. Well, look, we tried to get we're – tra- we're going to try and get Zach uh, Milgoodham back on the program. He's Australian skate champ, but I understand – I've just heard word that he is actually on a chairlift at the moment. Uh, he's not <laughs> skating. Uh, but that's fine because it, we can go straight to, to I've been thinking where we've got quite a bit to discuss. We will try and get Zach back. But Sue Bradford, I've been thinking, take it away. I've been thinking a lot about the Greens over the last couple of weeks since James Shaw faced a no-confidence vote at their AGM. And Are you running? Are you coming back? Can you hear me? Yes. Are you coming back? <laughs> oh, you're asking the question. <laughs> uh, um, I've been active in one kind of politics or another most of my life, and um, what happened a couple of weeks ago was one of the strangest coup attempts I've ever seen. The young Greens and the Green Left have been carrying out a subterranean campaign for years to replace Shaw with someone more radical, got as far as organising the numbers they needed, but somehow missed the key ingredient in the leadership challenge, their own candidate, capable and confident, (laughs) and standing by and rearing to go. The nominations for co-leader close tomorrow, and nobody except Mr Shaw has come forward as far as I know. It's always been hard for people outside the Green Party to get a grip on its internal culture. It's quite oblique, and one of its characteristics is a strange reluctance by most MPs and members to openly confront and challenge those in power inside the party, or to take the risk of being defeated in a leadership race, as I did once upon a time. There's also, at times, an hesitation about the notion of having leaders at all, which is a throwback to the Values Party days. Right. I think it really is time for the Green Party to grow up, to come of age, and for its activists and MPs to realise that it's no good standing by hesitant on the sidelines when things are going in what you see as the wrong direction. But that real democracy is about having the courage and capacity to have the debates out in the open and to actually have people ready to pick up challenges, no matter how thorny they might be. Sue, uh, oh, by the way, there is a fire alarm uh, in, is it the Wellington Building, Charlie, there? Yes. All right. So uh, there's a fire alarm in the Wellington Building uh, in RNZ. So all the producers are leaving us. Sue, are you still with us, though? Yeah, I'm still here. If you can hear me. Yeah, I can hear you. And I'm just going to say, are, they, are you in Wellington? Did they leave you there? <laughs> no, no, no. Uh, uh, Sue's on Zoom. Oh. Yeah, Sue's on Zoom. Yeah. But there is so much in what you uh, just said. I don't know where to start there. Um, ben, do you want to sort of pick up on uh, what uh, Sue's been saying? First of all, um, not setting up someone uh, to challenge. That must be the real thing. That, that I haven't talked about. We haven't talked about that earlier. I mean, I think that's the real issue, and it's sort of distilled into an almost absurd form, which is, you know, the activist wings really wanting this ideal, this kind of perfection that, you know, doesn't even seem to exist in a particular person. Uh, you know, it's, it's this kind of, you know, you could almost say sort of teenage rebellion, sort of like we don't like what James Shaw is doing. And that's enough. But, you know, Nando Tanksos, who was a very effective uh, Green MP, a very good parliamentarian, hated the place, 
hated it, smashed his wristwatch when he resigned from it being an MP. But he came out and, and said, you know, we've got to, the Greens have got to recognise that there are people, you know, outside who are the more radical ones, and there are people inside in Parliament who have got to do the work in there. Um, and you can't easily reconcile those two groups. In the end, Nandor decided he wanted to be outside. Uh, but, you know, while accepting that there is a role for people like James Shaw who can win yep. votes from the middle class, who can work with Labour to get through an acceptable emissions reduction plan, which certainly doesn't go nearly as far enough, at, you know, for, for the Greens' uh, membership. But, you know, you've got to look at the real world alternatives, not the non-existent candidate. No. Yeah. Uh, so um, in terms of uh, those who would say, actually, uh, James Shaw was one of the best things that happened to the Green Party. Here's a person, because I can recall the furor when he came in. Here's a person from, was it PricewaterhouseCoopers? But here's a person who has a suit. Well, uh, He's a suit. He's a suit. And the Greens are a broad church to Bradford and the Greens goodness sake, they needed someone like James. Are you there, sir? Oh, well, that's all a matter of opinion. It's clear that the Green Party did want someone like James, and that was the night that he's been the Green Party over the last um, five years and more. The steady drift to the centre, to the right, to wanting votes from National Act and Labour supporters who, who have Green, uh, who do care about the climate. And look, it's a fair enough position. We were arguing about this for years when I was still on the party. Um, but there's another strand in the Green Party, um, whether inside or outside, um, which is actually you can you can attempt to be an effective political party in Parliament at the same time as putting forward more courageous and clearer, stronger positions on crises of our times like climate and like um, health and uh, economic justice issues that we face at the moment. But above all the climate crisis, the Greens should be taking a far more uh, far clearer and a courageous position than they have been. It doesn't mean that you don't um, try to work for compromise or work for change, but in this particular government, the original problem was going into that cooperation agreement when Labour has all the numbers, all the power. And this is another thing about the Greens, and when they negotiate, they don't seem to understand numbers. It's always been a characteristic. <laughs> There's a quote uh, for you. Um, so can I bring this up? I'm going to come round and bring this up again because, you know, whenever you're on the programme, there are the fans, there are those people who goes, we, we, you know, we miss, we miss Sue being part of the political landscape in terms of what we see in party. Is there an inkling? Is there something inside you that says, hmm, maybe I would like to go back at some stage in some capacity? Are you there? Oh, it's always yeah. been there. Yeah. <laughs> the Wallace, I've always... <laughs> that's never left me. Um, yeah. It's just I feel like the Greens left where I was at the time. The, they didn't want me, most of them. <laughs> um, I became too radical. The Greens became too conservative. But that doesn't mean that um, I wouldn't want to be in a eco-left party. And, and as you know, for three years I was in Mana which I yes. saw as a really interesting and useful experiment and, until it chose to go with Kim.com. And now Te Party Māori is really leading the charge, but for obvious reasons, it's not a party. Um, okay. Um, <laughs> Pākehā can play a key role. Without sort of, you know, trying to you know, turn up old earth or anything, um, it is interesting, you know, when you think about how inscrutable party, pol you know, internal party politics are to outsiders, 
thinking back to when Sue ran uh, against Matilda Tude for the leadership, and now when you talk about the the left Greens, the ones who are trying to roll shore, they're all you know it's all sort of done in the in the memory of Matilda, and sort of you know why can't we have a leader like that again? Um, and if I remember correctly, I think Matilda beat Sue because Sue was too radical. So <laughs> it's. Uh, um, you know, it's it's, it's that's a, right, Ben. That is exactly what happened. <laughs> yeah, and 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 so you know, as an yep. outsider, you know, I think I was working in um, in the Beehive for the national government at the time. You know, completely inscrutable to all of us that Matilda Today was sort of portrayed as this kind of this kind of corporate. You know, it was portrayed. You know, yes. it was sort of she was promoting. She's a lawyer. She she knows how to talk. Basically, the same things that uh, James Shaw can. This is on. so very interesting. This is a Ben Thomas and Sue Bradford on uh, the Green Party and uh, what uh, they see as the situation. We'll put that up separately online on the panel. Dot, uh, sorry, rnz.co.nz forward slash the panel because uh, that is quite interesting. All right, uh, Ben Thomas, I've been thinking. This isn't particularly heady or political. Um, I was just thinking about uh, how how much I hate winter. Um, I hate the darkness. I hate the cold. Okay. Uh, I, I hate not being able to get up in the morning. Um, it, it's sort of just this drag on not just me, but I think the entire country. Um, but I just wanted to take a, an opportunity to sort of uh, kind of break from my normal uh, kind of um, I guess, persona on here. Get just to say, the point, there's, Ben. There's, there's a bit of woo-woo that I like, which is the, which is the seasonal affective disorder light lamps. Because I, I, I started using one a couple of years ago. A what? A what? It's basically a, a, a lamp that's basically about, about as bright as sunlight. Oh, it okay. holds your face near it you, you're, you're, in the mornings. You use a nightlight. You're talking about a nightlight. No, it's not a nightlight. No, it's, in the, it's for the mornings so that, so that you replace all of the sort of vitamin D and UV rays that you're not getting because of our terrible, terrible No, I don't understand here. you. And it, it's, they're, they're used for the treatment of seasonal affective disorder, which is for uh, you know, people, who, people who get depressed during winter, essentially, seasonal affective uh, kind of depression. Um, you know, I, don't, I don't know if I'd say that I was in that category, but you know, I find winter's very, very hard, yeah. like most people. And uh, I, I just want to say, you know, if you can lay your hands on a, on a bright lamp and put your face near it for half an hour while you eat your breakfast, you uh, look, that just might be something that what's your the, listeners want to try. What's the therapy called? Uh, I think it's called light therapy. Who yeah. has who uses light therapy? Who agrees with Ben Thomas on light therapy? Text me two one zero one.